Hello everyone, and welcome to What Would the Smart Party Do, the UK's premier RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Gaz, and with me, as usual, from his shed of shenanigans, is my good friend Ben. How's it going down south? It's going really well, mate. Here we are again. <laughs> I see you're all wrapped up warm. It's that time of year, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Because we, we're Brits, we always do a little weather report, don't we? Which will mean nothing, because no one's listening to this as the weather happens. I mean, if you want to know what the weather's like, look out the window. And you're probably walking a dog anyway, so I think you probably know. So we we had the long hot summer, didn't we? Where we just moaned about, oh god, I could barely breathe, and now I'm all wrapped up in my shed, and um, still moaning. So nothing's changed there. Well, let's let's go to a fantasy world then. Let's transport ourselves. Yeah, we've we've done a little bit of a series, sort of. We've kind of done a couple of episodes around D and D type stuff. Yeah, going down to the dungeon and that kind of thing, but. Let's be honest, a lot of these things, if you watch Critical Role, it all starts in a city when they go shopping, they go to the pub. So it definitely behooves us to talk about in your fantasy games or others. Go into a city and what city adventures might look like or how we even present them. Where do we start? Where do we begin? Do we have to map out entire cities? I know some people do that, don't they? They've got maps of cities and have every shop listed, every NPC, yeah. the whole thing planned out. Is that still a thing? Do people still do that, do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they do. I think people get a big kick out of it. I like cities for adventures. I like an urban adventure, actually. And um, and it fits into our kind of loose trilogy, doesn't it? Because we started off in dungeons and we did some wilderness. And game three back in the early 80s was usually in a city, wasn't it? Because you, you right. start in a dungeon, maybe bizarrely, but you know that seems to work. Then you do a bit of overland travel. And you kind of want to get to whatever the local metropolis is. And I think that's still true. I think city books have had have got a long, glorious history in gaming. I think city maps, as you allude to, are a really big deal. I, there's, there are plenty of people who have a city map as a big poster on their wall, just because mm. it's a really cool thing to have. Maps are nice anyway, but city maps seem to have something even more special about them, especially if you can zoom in and look at all the street names and docks. And it really, for me, it fires the imagination. Um, I like maps of cities anyway. So, yeah, I think there are still people who are who have probably got index card systems or more likely something digital now with names of, of, of candle makers and chandlers on there. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange thing, isn't it? Because uh, big deals made still of, in OSR world, especially of like uh, mega dungeons and things like that. Mm. There's all these wonderful maps of dungeons which only the GM ever sees. Yeah. Uh, and I think one of the attractions has got to be for a city is that everybody can have a go at it. And especially yeah. if you've got like a player version that they get to scribble their own notes on and stick post-its on or write on the map itself or mm-hmm. remember where they have adventures. That's got to be a like an artifact that's that's going to bring it to life and it's something you can look back on as your campaign develops yeah. about all the scripts you've been up to and what things you might like to do. Yeah, putting maps in front of players is brilliant. I mean, a, a side note, um, I've played some old school D&D recently uh, where I was too lazy to do anything, so I copied up maps of, of my dungeon and gave them to all the players, so I had them in front of them the whole time. <laughs> and the game was an awful lot better for it. So, But you're right, though, that um, that I suppose if you want to keep any sort of verisimilitude going, at least in a city it should be possible to, to stand outside that coloured-in piece of board that says you are here with a big red hour on it and maybe has some little 3D imagery on it of like the castle and where the cliffs are and the bad area of town. So it doesn't seem unreasonable for players to have, or player characters, sorry, to have a lot more knowledge about their surroundings 
than they would have if they were exploring a dungeon or even doing some overland wilderness stuff. It seems much more likely that you could do that kind of flash travel things where people say, let's go to the docks and boom, you just go. You're not having to walk down the street with your 10 foot pole or map it out with a fog of war system. That seems unlikely for cities, doesn't it? Which definitely makes them a, a, a different environment from something a bit more standard and explory. Mm. Yeah, I've been uh, rereading Joe Abercrombie recently and uh, he, he bangs on in his books about the Agriont and all these different parts of a particular city. Mm. And that comes into play later. Well, spoiler free, but like, there's a reason why you need to know where the different bits of the city are because it comes important <laughs> in book three. <laughs> but that's great for kind of giving you an idea about what players would probably see in a city. So like, the map might be flat, but if there is a palace or something, or a big cathedral to a guard or whatever it might be, they're probably like quite imposing things that players would notice, or the characters would notice mm. when they go into a city, the points of interest. Uh, and as you're saying, if you're going down to the docks or somewhere, if you had to run back to wherever your pub is, having the city map or looking out of it, that can make that chess scene a lot more interesting when you see all the bits you've got to get through to get back. Mm. There might only be so many bridges to get, you know, they can get across or whatever, or there might be a place where the city watch hangouts, so you need to avoid that, or you can kind of like mark out where different gang territories are, or different factions have influence and things like that. I think yeah, that using an artifact and having cities as a more living, breathing thing, I think there's like plenty of meat there that you can make adventures out of that you can't if you just wander around in the wilderness and it's mm. kind of you see another mountain or there's a trail. Like there's just a lot more vibrancy and things that can be going on in the city. Yeah, now uh, that can be intimidating. So for a GM, it's probably one of the harder environments to set your adventures in. Despite, as you say, I think. The modern gamers often start in a city, don't they? Mm. Um, but obviously you start in a very small, zoomed-in, focused bit of it. But it can be a little bit intimidating because players, player characters have suddenly got all this agency, all this knowledge. They can walk down any side street. They can walk anywhere. And you have to provide a lot of set dressing to make it feel like a living, breathing city as opposed to you've got like you know some slick walls of the dungeon with maybe a bit of mould dripping from the ceiling. Now, all of a sudden, you're describing shop fronts and uh, pickpockets and, um, and, and businesses and soldiery coming down the streets. And it can definitely, definitely be done quite poorly, as I've just done in that example. It can definitely sound very generic or you, know, or you don't really have a handle on what's going on. Because there's just so much going on. If you stand anywhere in a, in a major city anywhere in the world right now and just stand still and look around you, the noises, the scents, the conversations, the languages, even the, the lesser cosmopolitan cities, they're still really busy places where behind every door could be an adventure. Hmm. And when you're in a dungeon and you've got a door in each wall, you've got four choices to go down, three if you assume you came in through one. And when you stand on a, in a, in a and an interchange in a city, you've got a thousand different choices. And that's why it can be a bit intimidating to gym because you feel like you need to be ready for any eventuality. Mm. And that could be a lot to ask. Which is why I think cities are great, but they take a bit of mastery. And the role-playing industry has done a fine job of supplying us with massive fat source books for cities over the years. Mm. They're a good they're a good purchase. You see, I I I did not go that route, but I see what you're saying. I think that I think you're right. That is one of the intimidating things, certainly for a newer GM. If you have a big fat city book, which has got every single location on it keyed, 
mm. you may feel the need to have that memorized or at least be familiar with it or have read every entry so you've got a chance mm-hmm. of understanding what, what's going on and guess my advice would be to people you, you don't need to do it that way so a lot of the osr type stuff have lots of tables and things you can roll on to find things out so i think don't worry quite as much about having every detail picked out but have a method of getting some details when people ask for it mm-hmm. so that's that's the the sort of challenge is like you don't have to learn everything but players are going to ask oh where's there an armorer or is there a thieves guild or the questions like that will come up definitely yeah like things are interested in so you need a way of generating them at the table if you don't have them to hand as well but i think mm-hmm. that's fine uh, and that's where i like the idea of having a player version of the map to generate things and they go what's down here and you can work something out, and then they can write it on the map themselves, rather than having a pre-written map with, mm-hmm. oh, you want the armor? Well, you need the Guild of Merchants, and that's over this part of the city, and da 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 And you can end up going on wild goose traces that feel like, I don't know, can feel a bit arduous, or like you've got to ask yourself, is that the interesting bit of play? Like, there the can be interesting discovering new things, but if it's too awkward to get places, or to you're spending time looking at where stuff is, that can take some of the fun out as well. So kind of generating on the fly is one thing. And it's the old, very similitude thing that we talk about, where you try not to show the Wizard of Oz behind his curtain pulling the levers mm. and try and make it look like all this stuff is pre-planned and present it. But that can be a challenge. Yeah, I think, yeah, reflecting on it, do you know what, I think you're probably right. If I were running a game next week and it involved a city, I don't think I would be pulling out a great big city source book. Actually, yeah, I think you're right. Mm. And I reckon that's probably rose-tinted spectacles because when I, I've been thinking about knowing that we're going to do this cast about some of the great city scenarios that I've played or the, the cities that I've wandered around in as a PC. And, of course, I've already learnt those cities through play and through the younger me being able to sit down with a big, chunky source book and soak it all up and imagine myself strolling down the boulevards. Mm. But I don't have that kind of lifestyle I don't have that kind of capacity anymore. So I would probably go with something more procedurally generated or something that's much more um, uh, group made. So, you know, offload or outsource some of the generation of the narrative to the players, which is what Blades in the Dark does, which I'm sure we'll talk about Duskfall. Yeah, those would be my favourite things. But what I would say about some of the, the classic cities that I've enjoyed adventuring in is I did kind of read those books and wander the streets in my imagination mm. more than I played in a lot of them because the the thing with the city source book that I'm waxing lyrical about is that it didn't always have the city scenario in it and I think right. if I would say actually city scenarios are obviously a much much smaller percentage of published stuff compared to your dungeon your wilderness crawl your adventure in space even cities don't get such uh, such a, a, a decent amount of published adventures because they're so much harder to do. Yeah. A benefit of cities, and this is where Blades, which will keep banging around probably, come, comes to it on, is that you have like a heat clock that, like, or a heat track that measures how much attention you, you're bringing to your gang as you do things. And I think that's something that you've kind of, certainly back in the day, you had to like work out for yourself as, a, as GM, is when the players are constantly going on heists or pissing off the thieves guild or robbing things at the docks or whatever like there's gonna have to be consequences to that like mm. if you're staying in the city like you're gonna draw attention to yourself when you try and fence that stolen magic item someone's looking for it and when it pops up somewhere they're gonna be asking who was it that brought it in the shop or whatever so there's gonna be a way of i think it feels definitely like it in the city you've got to make it a living city there's got to be consequences to actions there's gonna be things happen but 
that's also a, an opportunity so it might be that you see certain wanted posters going up about an NPC you met once or it could be that you go to a place and the, the guy who was there is dead now or mm. gone missing and his shot's broken into and this thing smashed you don't know why and there's a seed to an adventure mm. but it could be people could be for you you don't know there's just I think to make it work in a city you've got to keep that living breathing thing going of actions consequences and the environment changing depending on what people do yeah it can seem intimidating, but I think it, it, if you keep reincorporating stuff, it, it gives you a virtuous circle of more stuff happens and more events get triggered and more NPCs are introduced and old NPCs come back again. Or hmm. someone you met who you annoyed when they were a sergeant of the, of the guard of the gates or whatever it might be could end up a few weeks down the line as he's got promoted to captain of the guard now and he remembers you and now he's going to make it his, his mission to get the watch to follow you around or to hassle mm-hmm. you and all the rest of it because of the way you slighted him when you first came into the city or things like that. So it's um, it involves some work, but I think because you're staying within the same area with the same sort of people about, it gives you opportunities. Mm. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that's absolutely right. So your, your city environment brings uh, brings challenges, but they're really worth addressing because they'll be so rich and rewarding. So, as you say, it's a, it, it becomes much more about NPCs than it does monsters. Right. And the NPCs, by their very nature, aren't necessarily just going to show up for a few combat rounds and then disappear again or, or end up being buried, more likely. So there's a, you're going to have reincorporation, returning faces, people are going to change, people are going to adapt. And then on a bigger scale, of course, it's a big playground for factions. Of course, you can do that in a dungeon, you can do that in the wilderness, but it's much more likely to happen in a city. And then I think the big, the big change, and PCs may have to get used to this as well, if you follow that tradition that goes all the way back to old school D&D of starting in the dungeon and hacking your way through a forest and then all of a sudden you're talking to some guards on the gates to get into what is going to be something civilised. Because every city in every game is going to have some kind of code about it. It's probably the most law-abiding part of the world that your murder hobos might have gone into and if they treat if they treat a marketplace like they treat uh, a, a temple to the dark spirit in a deep dungeon underground then all of a sudden you have to start making decisions about about law and about consequence because you have to be much more circumspect and you should be much more circumspect as, as a pc in a city than you would be running around in some lawless space station or being deep underground in an abandoned dwarven city where it's just gold and giant rats. Mm. Uh, and that, that brings a challenge, but it's also a really rich, rich scene to mine as well because you've got, all of a sudden, you, because you know that there are things called consequences to your actions, you have to be a bit more creative about what you do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's the old Pendragon thing where you know what you want to do, but you've got to do it in a certain way because there's certain social mores and things that you have to follow, otherwise there's consequences to that. Yeah. And it's definitely worth exploring uh, if you're playing a fantasy game like D&D or something like that, like what opportunities there are also for like higher level spells because mm-hmm. there will be NPCs that are probably higher level than your players there and they will have access to magic. Mm. So if they do uh, rob a temple, for example, or something like that, there's a good chance there's a high-level priest with a divination spell who can find out exactly what who it was who robbed their temple and where they are now mm-hmm. and send a reasonably high-level paladin and some other people around to go and get their stuff back. And you know, their god might have like different ideas about justice than perhaps the law of the land does or whatever it might be. But yeah, you're suddenly dealing with a lot of people who might be more powerful than you 
Uh, and you can also think about how the city might work. If there's problems with, I don't know, the waterworks or something, well, there might well be an elementalist or something. You can fix all that mm. in two seconds flat. So if you've got them in your city, you might also have to adjust how you think a city will work. Because I think fantasy, a lot of people think medieval. Yes. But if you're thinking magic in terms of D&D or something, there's probably a lot of good spells that people can use that will have sorted their city out. Mm. You won't have leaky pipes anymore because someone will have sent a water elemental down to work out where all the leaks are and then done some other conjuration magic and, and sorted them all out with a clay golem or something like that, perhaps, or whatever it might be. Or if that's not happening, why is it not happening? Are the guilds or different factions fighting amongst each other to show each other up? So there's probably an adventure idea there. But yeah, it's definitely worth thinking about high-level NPCs and magic and how that will affect the city and how it runs and operates. Yeah, and people have done a lot of work on that in the past. It's not something you have to dream up a whole cloth. But if you are running your own campaign, then, I mean, clearly the idea of curtain walls and keeps and stuff like that in a world where you've got flying monsters and fireballs is it's not really going to cut it, is it? <laughs> but, you know, that's the part of the fun of fantasy. And I think in a city, um, city environments can clearly run a, a whole gamut of different things on a, on a spectrum of something that you might consider quite sort of down and dirty and... Uh, and maybe a little realistic isn't the right word, but something quite medieval. So you could have like your city from the old world in Warhammer. Uh, one of mm. my favourites would be Middenheim. Now there's plenty of magic in Warhammer, but it's you know it's it's um, it's something to be feared rather than used. So uh, but you can go from there to something from Eberron, perhaps where you've got like a city like Shan, which is based on giant cogwheels that are spinning in the sky, and it's like a mile vertical city and people live in the clouds at the top of it and take elevators to their work and speak on essentially fantasy mobile phones to each other so cities can be massively different but the setting that you have your city in is going to imprint um, something onto that city to make it more than just london or new york mm -hmm. although even those are really good environments to play in, especially in modern day or you're playing supers or something like that playing in real cities can can bring you a whole other point of view for how you're going to play your games. So, <laughs> unsurprisingly, the, the, the insight there is there's more than one city. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it depends. Isn't it? it depends it. always. Yeah. Well, well, what are your favourite ones, mate? Have you got cities cities that you've enjoyed GMing or roaming around in? Cities you've been run out of? I mean, what's, what's your city uh, CV been like? Yeah, interesting. Obviously, we're like Duskval for Blaze in the Dark. Love it. Like let's let, let's try and talk about some other things besides just that. <laughs> uh, so there's just there's little insight. So to cut back to what I was talking about before, if you look at Pavis and the Big Rubble for Reinquest, which is nearly as old as I am, mm. that that was originally laid out with like here's where Bob's Bisonburger is, and like like literally everything on the map's got a name to it. Like that's uninteresting to me, but interesting bits that make the city or playing the city good were like the rules for the city. Mm -hmm. So you have to hand your weapons in when you get there. So there's there's lunars there, like basically a bit like Roman soldiers or something like that uh, in Jerusalem, disarming anybody who walks in. So that's immediately a thing. There's like a, a law there, and one of the first things from the first adventures is kind of like someone starts chucking rocks at you, you get in a fight. Next thing you know, you're up in front of the loon, the magistrate. He stitches you up and says like you're going to do this thing for us, and you, you've really got no recourse. And it's all very unfair. But like there's straight away a some a different thing you've got to deal with, which at the time when I was used to play Tunnels and Trolls and Dungeons and Dragons was like, <laughs> oh, this is different. Uh, and the things that are interesting, or one of the things that's interesting about the city that I remember is 
the Lunars, when they sort of invaded the land and took it over, had the help of the Sundown Templars, who were like, where should the sun go? Mm-hmm. Uh, and their quarter of the city that they got, they built it at like 45 degrees. So the rest of the city's got like the New York style. Degrees. And then the Sundown Temple bit, it's got this big sundown in it, and it's like turned to the side just to go, well, screw you, this is our bit. You know, we can do what we want. Which is a bit of a thorn inside for the governor. Mm. And there's a cool bit around. So the Olanthia kind of wind, the wind lords, wind gods, that kind of stuff, the storms. When there's a big fight goes on, the Lunas fill the storm temple full of sand. Mm. So when the wind lords use their teleport power and teleport back to the temple, they suddenly suffocate because the temple's been filled to the brim with sand and stuff like that. So th- those are the cool bits remember from the city. The fact that they're like every single apartment and building's been named, couldn't care less about. But the bits where it like takes what's happened in the world and applies it to like, well, what would happen in this city then if that was the case? Mm-hmm. I think are, are much more interesting. So that kind of stuff. Uh, and then uh, some of the stuff from Earth Dawn, unsurprisingly to our listeners, will attract me. So uh, there's the city Europa, I think it is, on the RSC mm-hmm. because it's only got a few quarters to it. It's like it's only two to four pages or something, and we're thinking one of the books. But every paragraph's got an idea or something cool in it. And there's a blue rose garden and some apartments made up in these cliffs and there's some other stuff that um, I'm struggling to remember now due to age. But having uh, little quarters or sections of a city go, oh, this is the cool thing that's happened with this, is enough. That's that's good enough. That's cool to get you going on it. Yeah. H- how about yourself? You must probably have more city experience. I mean, there's, there is stuff like Lankmar and all those other classics in there. But mm-hmm. what else have you got? So, I mean, I could stay in Earthbound for a little bit and take you to Parlength. Oh, yes. Which is which was there. I, I think that had a lot in common with Big Rubble, didn't it, and Pavis. It was a, mm. a, perhaps an homage to that. But there's the really interesting thing about the Parlength city, it takes you slightly into deep Earthdawn lore, but essentially no one knew it was there. So in order to save themselves from a magical apocalypse, um, they wove a ritual, which means that everybody forgot about Parlength. I mean, everyone. So it was so forgotten about, it left this dimension, and no one could even remember it existed. And all it left behind was a single ring, much like the One Ring, I suppose, called the Longing Ring. And if you found it, you could suddenly remember a city, but no one else can. Uh, But eventually it gets pulled back into this dimension. And uh, spoiler alert for something that's 30 years old now, the magical apocalypse got there anyway. So there we go. They, They were all holed up in a little dimensional bubble, and the bad guys got in and ate them from the inside out. So now, it's, uh, it's rich with opportunity and it's got that classic trope of, um, of the adventurer town, which is like welded onto the side of it like a carbuncle. And mm. the adventurer town's got like, you know, grocery stores that sell you iron rations and a place that does 10 foot poles and you know, people who will top up your lanterns, that kind of stuff. And the bar is always going to be run by an ex-adventurer with an eye patch and a hook for a hand and there's loads of rumours going around on a map wall and, and you've got these young adventurers who, uh, who are getting all buffed up and having a, toasting each other before they head out into the ruined city and they never get seen again and the old regulars placing bets on how long they'll last. And I love that kind of thing. And it's that adventurer's town, which is one of my favourite kind of tropes that I see in lots of my favourite cities, uh, like Langmar, uh, funnily enough, or um, uh, this is one from way back in there, Port Black Sand. Wow. <laughs> yeah, from the world of Titan. Fighting or advanced if you prefer, fighting fantasy, Port Blacksand, Nicodemus, um, and uh and a slightly piratical, thiefy, kind of low life place. You've got to have docks, you've got to have warehouses, 
all adventures in cities end up in a warehouse. There's almost entirely going to be a ritual which you will have to disrupt in a warehouse at night. Um, every city from Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, like, especially yeah. Middenheim. I've had some great times in Middenheim. Power Behind the Throne is the is the poster uh, scenario for that one. Probably best scenario ever written. Almost impossible to run. So, you know, read it and enjoy, but I don't think many people have actually played it through it. And what makes that memorable is less the city, although that does have a really important physical aspect to it, but it's um, it's such a good primer on NPCs and factional play. And your adventure in that city is about trying to sway a vote, which sounds mm. like it's going to be deadly dull. But actually, every NPC is reliant on a web of relationships, <coughs> which are all set out for you like a dungeon map. And if you if you start to win influence with one, you're going to lose influence with others. And you won't always know whether the person you're trying to court has actually got influence at court or whether they're just saying they've got influence at court or whether they're actually being mind controlled by someone else who wants influence at court. Mm. And it's an absolute web of stuff. And to meet any of these people that you need to get on side, you need to go to the places they frequent. And some places are easy to get to, and some places are hard to get to. And they have a diary each of the places they're going to go over the course of a festival. So where they are on Tuesday isn't where they're going to be on Thursday. And they might never get to Friday if the thing that happens on Wednesday that you set up kicks in. And <laughs> this is a brilliant scenario in a brilliant city, really evocative, absolutely gorgeous, but very, very, very challenging to play or run. But... Yeah, uh, if I had to pick a single city, it would because it brings uh, elements of like street life, but goes all the way up to high politics, and it it has like you know fights in pub sewers, but it also has tense negotiations in the in the Graf's palace. You've got that whole kind of vertical element to the game that's not just geography but a societal one. So I mm. really like Middenheim for that, and I would think that in a weird way its modern version would be something like the city inspire so spire mm. has a has a whole bunch of stuff going on which i won't go into because otherwise i'll just be talking for an hour but but essentially that's another one where it's people and places and agendas rather than rooms and traps and monsters right yeah and i think one of the early ones for that sort of thing which <clears throat> confused a lot of people was chicago by night for vampire oh yeah because you would think, probably thinking, there's more about that. Like you would think, the more about the city, perhaps about Chicago. But actually, the the meat of the game, but you had some people like holding the book upside down and shaking it to find out where the game was, was people and factions and agendas and like what was going on. So it just gives you the the main vampires and what they're up to, really. Mm. So it's a, it's a different way of playing than your D and D. But that's that's the core of it, isn't it? Like I said, I mean, you know, I. I know some people do like having Bob's Bassenberger and everything, but the, the theme I'm going to keep going back to in the cities are like, or the books are like, have stuff going on, and then you interact with that stuff, and then you can kind of move the city around it almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, one that I would mention in my sort of list of glorious cities would be, and I'll pronounce this wrong, Alamaha for Over the Edge. I've had to yeah, so call it Alamaja, and I know it's not pronounced that way because <laughs> the J doesn't work that way, but there you go. I still call it Bjork, and I know that's not right either. I have a trouble with J's, what can I tell you? <laughs> Alamaja uh, for Over the Edge, a classic 90s game. Jonathan tweets, 
invention from pretty much from whole cloth. I think he improvised it all at the start and then just started writing down his stuff and Robin Laws threw in loads of extra madness. And then before you know it, you've got a city which is completely unmappable. I don't think yeah. there is a map of Alamage. It might be in the latest edition. Latest edition's got one, but it's pointless. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine it would be. <laughs> so Alamage is just one of those cities that's just got everything in it. It's a total kitchen sink. But everything it does have is weird, fringe, esoteric, exotic. It's all of those things, like from every conspiracy novel you've ever read and so on. And I quite like a city that does that, where it's where it's really outlandish. Um, a really, really niche game that I had once was called Nexus, which had a city which was at the centre of like a time nexus. So you could have Roman gladiators walking down the street um, at the same time as World War II soldiers and um, that kind of thing, and, and gotcha. you know, reptiles from the far future. So Alamaja pulls that off quite nicely, and it works on little plazas and little areas, and each has its own little flavour. But it is, it's less a, a description of where the hospital is and where the taxi service is, although there is a taxi service. Um, but it's much more about the factions that exist in this crazy melting pot of a city. And that is a bunch of fun, because you will turn a corner and something will happen to you, and you'll get provoked at every point. You don't have mm. to go looking for adventure because it will just steamroll you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's, there's too much in there, arguably. Yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. Which is a weird is. thing to say, but yeah, there's too much going on. So, so a probably more limited city if we're talking Legend of the Five Rings. There was the City of Lies box set, mm. which is good. That had... It's kind of the opposite problem that we were talking about before about where you are not the authority but have to work within the city and that you are the authority. So it makes the characters imperial magistrates and throws them into this city where just about everyone's trying to kill everyone else or backstab them or shut them up at court or have them blackballed or whatever else is going on. Uh, but also everybody's coming to you demanding justice and you to sort things out and all the problems when everyone's a problem. So that's, uh, I guess you call it a limited sandbox. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's the thing we come back to a couple of times with cities, isn't it? It's, it's keeping a pressure cooker. It's kind of go, here's all these problems, and we're not going to walk away from them. We're, they're just going to keep building up, or everything you do is arguably going to be a wrong decision. But that's where the fun comes in, because there'll be consequences to whatever you do. Yeah. And you get to pick which consequence you want, really. Yes. And and, and we that's where Duskfall comes in to its own. I know City of Lies does this as well, by having, having that de, uh, delineated space that delineated theatre of operations, whatever you do is going to affect someone who's not very far away and you can't just skip town, head out and go and do something about it. In Dustfall, you literally can't live town and that does make a pressure cooker. So the only way out is prison, usually. Um, but then there are, you know, there are other places, there are other places where if you don't have that pressure cooker environment, I would argue that the cities become a little bit more bland and more just backdrop than they do places of intrigue. So, right. for example, Wild West games, you I don't think, I could be wrong on this, you play a lot more Wild West or Weird West games than I do, but they're not often taking part in big towns or big cities. It's much more about points of interest across a bigger map, across the plains or the snowy wastes or whatever, because... You know, uh, despite you know famous places like OK Corral, I suppose, or Deadwood, or places like Tombstone, that, like yeah, they're, but they're not necessarily places that you would hang around in. You would head out, and you've got your horses, and you can go down the Box Canyon, and so on, because there there isn't that pressure cooker. The Wild West is just spread out, and it's not a civilized world, is it? Right. Yeah. So that, I mean, you have got 
East, the East is uh, season seaboards more civilized, but then mm. that's not where the cool adventures are. It's more about <laughs> expanding beyond the frontiers. I guess the stuff like is it Desiree? Yes. Uh, and the more recent edition of Redland Deadlands had were the Great Rail Wars that were always this perennial sort of race across America to see which rail company could get from east to west. That actually finishes in uh, in one of the new setting books. So the Los Angeles has got more about it, mm-hmm. and there's one of the one of the reckoners is there and stuff like that. So there's there is more of that kind of stuff going on, and you've got um, California at one point falls into the sea, more or less. So you've got all the stuff with the Shan Fan and oh, the Great Maze, yeah, yeah, the Great Maze, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there are there are settings, whether you call them a city or not, rather than a collection of things all close together. Yeah, I guess that's that's sort of what we might broaden our uh, our definition, isn't it? Because it can be, it doesn't have to be a city per se, but keeping it within a focused area. Yeah. It probably works the same sort of way. You can use the same techniques and get the same value out of it. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, for our, for our, for our, I mean, we we could say that a village is enough, couldn't we? But I think everybody knows that what we're talking about here is a city is big enough. We don't know everybody, and no one necessarily knows you, but that could change. And the place is full of NPCs, and everyone's got an agenda. And not everyone's yeah. trying to kill you. Far from it. It's not. Doesn't have to be a hostile place in the slightest. Um, but it's something where you will turn a corner and something will be happening. And I guess you get to decide whether you join in or not. So you've got that sandbox element to it, haven't you? It's a bit more open world. So, And that's one yeah. of the things that I love playing in cities, but I suppose it takes it back to it can be hard to run. And I think there's an element of getting used to be like not, not screwed over necessarily, but it is that thing that like you're making a choice and you will someone won't be happy with it. Yeah. And, and whatever you do, and it does, you know, it gives you opportunities for adventures. Like someone comes up to you from the Spicers Guild and says, uh, "Right, there's a ship coming in, and I need the uh, the third crate. It's gonna have, uh, it's gonna be marked with this eagle on the side of it, and I need that crate." And you go, mm. "Okay, cool." And they're gonna pay some money. And then an hour later, someone from the Thieves Guild sidles up to you, going, "The third crate with the eagle on it. Uh, we need that, and we're gonna offer this money, sort of thing." And then you've got. Like either way, you're gonna to have to go and get this crate, but there's two different factions who want it, and who are you gonna give it to? Or are you trying, you know, stitch one up and put an eagle stamp on a different crate and give them one each? Or, mm. like, or who is it that like what's in that crate? Is it a vampire that's come, it's packed his on earth, and when you open it up, there's problems that way. So there's there's always lots of opportunities, but then like who do you upset? And it's mm. kind of uh, it it behooves you in my experience to let players know what kind of game it's going to be because. Some players don't like that not being a correct choice. Mm-hmm. So that in that scenario I've outlined, if there was no way to please both factions, some players will get upset by that, yeah. and they kind of want to win. So I guess one piece of upfront advice is like let people know that there's going to be winners and losers with everything you do, mm. and it's there's choices, and there's you know you can try and talk your way out of things, or maybe you know you upset one faction but not the other but then you've got to do something else for that second faction to appease them or something so there's ways out you're not going to get screwed over but it's just getting people used to the idea that you're in a, a living breathing environment with lots going on and lots of moving parts so you're going to constantly be on a treadmill of exciting things happening is the way to look mm-hmm. at it mm-hmm. and if, if you're the sort of player who thinks that's terrible and you don't want there to be lots of things happening you just want to be nice and safe then maybe you won't get as much joy out <laughs> as you think well, is the default activity in a city adventure then slightly criminal? Is it basically going to be that you're in the underworld, do you think? It seems to be from the collection I've got on my shelves. Yeah. I mean, I sort of think it has to be, because otherwise you kind of... What are you doing? Cleaning out the sewers? 
<laughs> doing guard duty, <laughs> watching the docks to make sure things aren't pinched. Well, there, there is a the, the the other one would be the political campaign, wouldn't it? Mm, yeah, I guess. And then it's up to yeah again. It's, it's whether you like that kind of game, isn't it? With like you're trying to mm-hmm. work out people's motivations and all that kind of stuff. So certainly that the classic vampire game is you will be stuck in the city because there's werewolves and stuff everywhere else and you can't get out of your city, really. And you've got to deal with the other people that are there, so there's a lot of politicking and all the rest of it. So, mm. yeah, that, I mean, that that is a way. I keep slipping back into thinking of fantasy cities and what you can do. But if you're not politicking or being a criminal of some sort, <laughs> it's, it's not as easy to think of things you can do because there's, there's often not out-and-out baddies, are there? I think that's why there's all these grey areas and different factions because... yeah. If you go to the the temple in the mountains where people are summoning demons, you could feel quite happy about going and killing a lot of people and making them stop doing what they're doing and taking the stuff off them. That seems a laudable kind of activity. Whereas if you're in a city where people work and live and play and live and fall in love and all the rest of it, you can't really go around just cutting people up or taking the stuff all the time. It's not really done. So it's a different tenor of game if you're playing in a city. Yeah, the tools you have at your disposal in your character sheet might not necessarily be the ones to use in the city. I'd, I'd like to pitch, though, like a, a an underseen, I think an underseen, an underseen way of playing a campaign frame, uh, which would be to work for what would essentially be the emergency services in that city. Mm. Firefighters, coppers, which could be guard. You mentioned guard, but I, I can absolutely see scenarios where you are playing a detachment of guard. You're like, you know... You're the blue copper squad, and um, you only work between midnight and three. In and your rotation has put you in the worst parts of the city, um, while there's a bunch of adventurers running around trying to beat up cultists in the sewers underneath you. Um, mm. You know, there's and, and things things burn a lot in cities. So you know, being a firefighter generally, there's a couple of really good games about being firefighters, by the way. Um, but it, I, I feel it might be quite nice to play something like that in a modern city where you've got the equivalent of, say, The Wire, where you've got all of those different viewpoints of something that's happening in a city. You, you're playing media one week or you're playing drug barons the next week or you're sports stars the week after that and just building up this picture of the city that you live in from different lenses. Yeah, and there's, um, you, you've reawakened my imagination again. Fair enough. <laughs> thought about all the different things you can do. Doesn't take much. Uh, one of them is that we played again recently for the Unconventional GMs channel, which I think will be out next year. But it's uh, Cortex Plus, Cortex Prime. Can't remember mm-hmm. which Cortex Prime. I think uh, it's Hammerheads. So it's a bit like yep. Thunderbirds. So you can be a major rescue and play a game like that. Uh, another game I played in the past was Lipold Strasser Blues, which was for <laughs> for older older listeners. Hill Street Blues was a cop show. Uh, and but it was more about the lives of the people in the police station sort of thing, uh, and it was a Warhammer Fantasy role play game based around that. Mm-hmm. So you were actually like Blue Watch or whatever, and you, you were always on a night shift, and things would happen. Uh, and that worked really well because the gem, it, it's that thing about a living, breathing world. It's that it just advanced things a little bit. So every time we went into a, um, the police station or whatever, the watch station, there was a. It started out with a bard outside, and the next time we went there, he got a black eye and his his thing was broken, so he's playing a different instrument and. After like six or seven goals or whatever, like there was just a greasy spot where the bard used to be, and someone's obviously killed him and dragged him off or whatever. And similar, there's a, a noble arguing and remonstrating, like just saying it's unfair and a miscarriage of justice when he was clearly in the wrong. And by the end, like the police were having to sort of say, it is, yeah, we're really sorry to apologize and giving all this stuff back because of his connections that got involved and whatever. And 
the wanted posters are coming up and down on the walls and that kind of thing. So yeah, you can do the kind of episodic, like the wire or Hill Street Blues or whatever that kind of thing, and you just add in as gem bits of backdrop where mm. things progress to make it feel like the clock's moving around and it's a different day and something else has happened and feed in bits of foreshadowing for stuff that's going to happen later down the line or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a million different stories to tell, actually, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. there is millions. And um, and there's a, there's another classic line, of course, so like Call of Cthulhu would have you playing investigators and that will often happen in a city and that will, that might be Arkham, would that be up there amongst like you know a, a top tier list of of gaming places uh, to over urban environment? I mean, Arkham's got to be up there, hasn't it? Uh, it's certainly iconic, mm. and uh, there's certainly things like Innsmouth where people go and know there's yeah. going to be trouble. Well, the players know there's going to be trouble, even if the characters don't, and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. It'd be interesting to see more of that kind of thing actually, because the the sort of loaded campaigns for Call of Cthulhu tend to be things like Horror on the Orient Express or the Mass of Neolithotep, which are mm-hmm. Globetrotting campaigns, to be honest, it'd be nice, perhaps, to see more. That's as we were talking about. Like you have to stay in the same sort of area. Yeah. And I guess Arkham like does that. That he acts as a base, and you've got the university there where you research stuff, and then you go perhaps go out to New England and do little adventures and come back again. But yeah, it's um. Well, you had some times in Berlin, I think. Did you not in uh, Call of Cthulhu? Yeah, well, there's the the Wicked City is a good setting, uh, which we played. We did a rotating chair for that, so there's three adventures, and we we swapped round. He was GM for each of them. Nice. So that's quite cool, and you got to know like 1920s Berlin by playing the adventures to a degree. So that's cool. But those sort of things require you putting some effort into learn. Mm. That is rather than the the procedural way of creating city we mentioned before. That's because it's an actual historical city. It's one where you've got to go to go and we don't have to, but it, it benefits from you going and looking up pictures of 1920s nightclubs in Berlin mm. and things like that, so you can present them to the players and working out who was about and what importance they had and bringing in some of the politics of the time and other sorts of bits and pieces. And we had a famous actress in the game where in one of the scenarios and that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely there's, there's areas of interest. And I think that's one of the things that interesting Colour Cathedral scenarios do well is, is when it's not 1920s Massachusetts or whatever. It's when it's somewhere completely different and it gives you a wind into a different part of the world while also having some horrifying monster or something normally in the background that you're trying to sort out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, the the horrifying monster in the city are one of those peanut butter and jam sandwiches, which which I've never wanted to eat, by the way. It sounds appalling. But there you go. Like, giant monster, city, that's where the two two tropes have got to cross. So have we ever destroyed any cities in our games? We have had any, like, city-wide apocalypses? Mm. normally to, to do with something with tentacles isn't it or some giant kraken coming out of the bay and devouring everything I mean I've lo- I've destroyed Bogenhafen more than a few times with the <laughs> explosion yeah a fun traveller campaign I played at university of all places so that's many years ago uh, had us at one point we kind of got stitched up after this deal on an asteroid and ended up like locked in prison on this high low level planet and you have that kind of disgruntled feeling we're like well there's no way out of this how are we going to do it and the way out of it tended to be an invasion by a neighbouring star system, which started hitting the city with meson cannons, which destroyed the prison and gave us a way out. But then we had to deal with the invasion and go, we're not on their side, honest. We're just visiting. Come in. Please let us go. Uh, running around during a war and that kind of thing. But that's, yeah, you, I mean, you can do that in your fantasy as well. I'd like to see more of that. Mm. that. That'd be a cool thing to do if you're in Waterdeep or whatever else. Or what happens when the dragons do attack? 
Yeah. That suddenly makes your adventure quite cool. Absolutely. Uh, you know, when you've got dimensional travel and all kinds of other things you can throw in the mix. I mean, Torg I've said a bit of a resurgence with, with some people as well, yeah. which has got a world that's been taken over by reality-bending beings, basically, so it's split up into different settings. Yep. That's right. Good stuff. Talk, by the way. Needs, needs to come back. Needs to be powered by Savage. Um, and uh, Planescapes had a resurgence over at Wizards of the Coast. They've decided to do something about Planescape, which has at its very centre as the City of Sigil, um, which is, uh, how do they describe it? A, a torus, uh, an inverted torus on the inside of a torus, which is like an interdimensional donut with a hole in the middle, and the city's on the inside of it. So if you look at the cool buildings you above you, yeah, it does sound less cool as a donut, but that's essentially it, with a spike between it as well, where every doorway leads to something else. And um, yeah, one of the, the a downside of Planescape for me playing it back in the day was that Sigil was way more fun than any of the planes that you would go through the doors to get to because right. of factions, this, that, and the other. And, you know, if you can go through a door to get to another plane, what's going to come back through that door the other way with you? All kinds mm. of fun ensued, and to have that really big sort of cosmopolitan city where you've got like blue-skinned people and people with feathers, wings, all strolling down the street together it was great fun. So yeah, there's there's kind of a there's yeah there's a there's a good history of those really good sort of like a interplanar center of the dimension cities like uh, Michael Moorcock would have had Tanalorn, I think, wouldn't he? He would have had yeah. that at the center of everything. So Planescape's good, and that's back, and and uh, and there'll be some fun to be had there. Um, I guess you've got Radiant Citadel as well for D and D. Yes, that's a, that was on the tip of my tongue, mate. Radiant Citadel. Yeah. Yes, and I mean cities aren't going away anytime soon, are they? They keep coming back, <laughs> keep coming out for every game. And um, one I wanted to mention as well, which is another bit of a, I think all my picks are a little bit kitchen sink, or they're like a filthy pirate's boot. Is one or the other, preferably both. <laughs> so, um, one of my favourites is for mutants and masterminds, which doesn't get enough call outs on this show. Uh, <laughs> Freedom City is is their default city, and uh, it's mirrored in games like Mask, which has Halcyon City, because in supers a city is is a very important place. Um, DC makes cities up and Marvel took real world cities and then just put loads of cool stuff in them so you know mm. the New York of Spider-Man and the Avengers and the Fantastic Four is is not like the New York that actually exists in North America so it's a really cool place to be and Freedom City for Mutants and Masterminds doubles down on all of that stuff so you've got yeah. like you know lots of statues of previous heroes You've got like you know, in, it, it, there's a, there's going to be a quarter in the city where intergalactic visitors can come and drink their strange drinks and eat their strange foods, and you know, uh, getting attacked or finding out that it's twenty years previously because a time bomb has gone off is like as as annoying to them as like you know, bus replacement services to us in our world, and this is regular an occurrence. Right. So I quite like how they've done that. And they've labelled all kinds of things so that you can see all the Easter eggs for, oh, wow, that's an analogy to the Fantastic Four. Or I would say you've got like a bunch of uh, uh, feared and hated mutants living in a in like a Hogwarts just outside of town that reminds me a lot of a, a, an X-Men franchise. And, yeah. and that's nice when you see references. And I think City stuff is always full of those little cool references and full of Easter eggs and 
bits that you can pull in from other places and whether that might be just a, a poster inside a tavern that's advertising a trip to the keep on the borderlands you know that's right. fun warhammer does that a lot doesn't it, it plays with yeah. cities yeah i think there is something to be said for taking a taking a template from a real world city or something and then changing it mm. i'm sure you could do that with historical cities if you wanted to look at babylon or some other like city from antiquity just for your stylings and how yeah. it might look and then just you know tweak it a little bit or you know ancient greece is rife with them and that kind of thing i mean i don't because i don't really buy into gerps i don't know but there must be some gerps city books <laughs> in settings there has to be there's like gerps books for everything so there must be some good gerps city books if you're listening at home do, do let us know listeners I'm, I'm sure there's something but all, all of the gerps fans listen to this show both of them i think <laughs> that's cool there'll be gerps rome of course Rome is a yeah. fantastic city to set adventures in, whether historically or you do that cool thing like science fiction authors often do. We haven't talked about sci-fi very much, where they, they have like uh, Nova Rome or something like that, and it's the name of a space mm. station where everyone yeah. walks around in togas but has laser guns at their sides. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a ton of stuff that we're forgetting from like second edition D&D as well, like you know the Al-Qadim stuff, like City of Brass or yeah. that kind of thing. Well, I can bring you right, right bang up to date with the latest city book that I've I've been reading, and it's it is it is kind of role play because it's uh it's part of a uh, Games Workshop's Age of Sigma, their new home for Warhammer, and which is as a role playing game is is addressed with Soulbound, the role playing game, which has a lot right. to recommend it actually. It's a it's a really good game, and um, unlike the old world, which is where all the Middenheims and Outdorfs and Bogenhafens come from, which is where I kind of cut my teeth as a GM, really. Mm. This place is just bonkers. Everything's turned up to 11. But it's not Alamaja where everything's just, you know, weird for the sake of it. This this is... Yeah, it is weird for the sake of it, but it's also trying to kill you. And <laughs> <laughs> what's kind of cool about the Age of Sigmar is that the mortal realms um, are kind of based... Uh, they would be planes in D&Ds. So you've got one of fire and you've got one of beasts and you've got one of light. So colleges of magic. They've got an, uh, like an infinite realm each. And they're all connected by realms gates. So these big portals that you can go through. And um, Sigmar and the Legions of Order are trying to win this place back from chaos and undead and skaven. Happy days. But they're doing it through the medium of cities. So there's a, a really convoluted project that they have, which involves sending out Sigmarines, so the Stormcast Eternals. So I'm already having to use lots of stuff with capital letters at the start. And they have to go and, like, you know, basically um, form, form a stronghold, uh, which could be very, very small, but they just build out from there and they just try and, like, you know, win every inch of ground back from chaos and keep pushing them back and back until they can get the artificers in to build a wall. But then that's not going to be safe, so they've got it joined to a keep. Then they have to put a magical sphere over it. So all of these places are, like, just trying to push back against the absolute chaos. And um, the latest book I'm reading is The Cities of Sigmar thing, which is for their war game. And there's 11 cities. And they're all massively individual. They're nothing like each other whatsoever. They all provide garrisons and they all do these sort of dawn raids to try and get back a bit more grand. But it's all about these cities basically doing land grabs, trying to get bigger. And that's not addressed in any of the games that you see. Cities don't ever try and grow, do they? They've got their maps and, <laughs> and that's it. But these yeah. ones are trying to grow and they're trying to beat each other to the prize. And there's no maps of them. I'm sure there is in some of the Soulbound books but they're really interesting things like there's the one place called Hammer Hall 
is actually two places called Hammerhall, and it exists in two of these realms simultaneously. And it has a realms gate halfway through the city, which is big enough to you know to fly galleons through. So you can look and you can see the uh, the other dimension, the other realm, just over the horizon at the end of downtown, and you can walk through it from one to the other. So you go from the plane of fire to the plane of jungles and beasts, and um, and they have trade between them. And these two cities are very sort of you know like all cities are that people in New York hate people in LA and vice versa, and they have all of these rivalries. But when chaos comes knocking, it doesn't matter, does it? So it's full of that kind of stuff that I know you like, where you read a paragraph and you have to kind of close the book a bit, look at the ceiling for a couple of minutes, because you can't help but start wondering about campaigns that will spring mm. from a single sentence or a paragraph of just like, wow, that is, that's an intense idea, which they don't even develop in the book. They just skirt past it to go to, you know, there'll be another piece of awesome just around the corner and you can buy a model for it. It'll cost you 90 quid. <laughs> but, but if you just stick around and enjoy the view of it, you think that's a really interesting take on cities that uses everything from fantasy for the past 40, 50 years, but brings it bang up to date and puts a fresh spin on it. And I think there's some really interesting environments to go adventuring in. Which means I'll probably run off and get my soulbound stuff off the shelf after this cast. It sounds interesting. I'm, I'm, let's play it. Let's do it. I might buy it myself for a look. That's very good. Uh, I've been sort of pondering as you've been talking about that kind of stuff as well. as like perhaps cities for sci-fi because it's always going to different worlds and stuff like that. Perhaps it's space stations yeah. or things like that that are cities in sci-fi games. Yeah. And again, it's going to be some kind of nexus, hasn't it? It's going to be a place where people come together for some yeah. reason. And I guess in fantasy games or ones with like pirates there's always a pirate port isn't there something where always for some reason the authorities don't come and actually stamp it out and let it exist for reasons I guess in sci-fi it's a similar sort of thing I, I, I guess you'd go with something like uh, Babylon 5 or something like mm-hmm. that you know where you've got a station where there's all these different aliens and there's a, a psychic police that are doing their thing and whatever and uh, there's going to be an interstellar war at some point and that kind of stuff yeah I think it's uh, a key thing that I think we're sort of developing here with cities and stuff like that is that there's going to be it feels like it's a, a teeing off point it's not I don't I don't understand why people would have a city and keep it static like you say it feels like this is the start of your campaign and then you immediately want everything to start rolling forwards and you stuff do. to change yeah to be events and I think that's what makes it that's what makes them interesting yes as much as like exploring them and, and planning things out and working out where certain things are and getting allies with factions are that's that's cool and things but it's all got to be rolling at the time all the time otherwise it'll become stale mm. and yeah. known and, and, and you don't really want that absolutely the uh, the campaign we're playing with a uh, friend of the show steamforge matt at the moment is he's running dungeons of drakenheim which is a D game D D campaign um and it's like the spiritual successor to more time the old gw war game so it's a ruined city, um, very ruined city, and it's full of goodies to go and take. But just like you say there, it's it's very, very changeable. We know that everything we do is going to have an impact on the game. So yeah, there's a ton of factions, and we can't be mates with all of them. But we've all got individual drives and goals, and, and some of them are quite big ticket. So there's a, there's a woman who wears a big red hat, and she, she's in charge of all the baddies, and she's called the... That are called the bandit men, bandits men, the queen's men. Sorry, they're all the bandits who are called the queen's men, mm-hmm. and she's the queen of the bandits. And um, and she's not going to be the, the head of that that organization in a, probably a couple of scenarios time, 
that it's not going to be many hours before she's toppled by someone, possibly my character, possibly someone in the party, possibly someone else who we've upset or we've managed to ally with. But, you know, heads are going to roll. Things are going to change. Things are going to be built. Things are going to be destroyed. And it's a dynamic environment. And I think, yeah, as you say, mate, I think the best cities change and the really static cities, yeah, they can become a bit staid and they're more like places to just have some R&R before you go off and find something exciting to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's probably an entire podcast we could do on factions, so best not yeah, probably probably deep is. into that right now. But... Um, yeah, there's, there's kind of like a tiers thing they call it in Blaze, isn't there? Where there's, you know, you'll be aware of whatever, like a tier four, which is like the highest. You'll be mm-hmm. kind of aware of those people, maybe the palace guard or something, but you won't really interact with them. And the fact there'll be people to run away from, and you'll be dealing mm-hmm. with your tier zeros or your tier ones. But as you do things and grow in power and gain allies and do whatever, then you'll, you'll basically these people that were a backdrop or just seem like a tapestry to the game will start to become people you interact with. Yeah. So there's, there's that kind of development you can do as well. It's a bit like. I don't know, if you view it as playing D&D and you start off and you're killing goblins and before long it's trolls and then before you know it you're fighting a dragon. Mm-hmm. You can do a similar sort of thing with uh, with cities but you can, you've can you got more chance to kind of establish the dragon before you yes. get to the, that point, if you know what I mean. So you can feel it coming and you get an even better sense of achievement when you do something about it. Uh, and I guess it's worth just mentioning that point. There's, um, in Shadowrun there was a city where the mayor was a dragon. Mm-hmm. And got voted in, and there's no reason why you can't do that in D and D or your fantasy game either. Like, why is it going to be a bunch of humans that are all sat around, you know, or maybe the odd elf politicking with each other? Why is the the emperor not a dragon? What does his mm-hmm. palace look like if it's a dragon? It wouldn't just have normal corridors that regular people walk around. It's got to be massive, wasn't it? Surely, how did they build it? Who built it? What co- at what cost? What's the cost <laughs> of having all that? Like maintaining such a massive palace? Yeah. And you've got it. It's going to burn and eat everybody. So yeah, there's, there's immediately like I'm sort of like falling back into that. It's a fantasy game, so what? How big can you go? How weird can you go? What extra stuff could be happening, and what does that mean for your players? Yeah, there's a uh, the D and D the the main city or uh, Waterdeep uh, crime lord Xanathar is a beholder. That's oh, kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and a thirteenth age is is normally a reliable source to go to for uh, classic tropes with a twist. And they have seven major cities in their their kind of um, uh, half prepared campaign world called, uh, called the, the Dragon the Dragon Empire. God, I'm forgetting all my words today. I apologise to all these creators. I love your work. I just can't, just can't remember it. <laughs> early onset. So, there, anyway, the big the big fun city there that I've set more than one scenario in is the one that's run by dragons. Um, and it's run by three dragons, uh, the black, the blue, and the red. Uh, they do not get on. <laughs> so the whole place is, but it is like um, like a little bit like that Pirate City vibe in that there's there's no real laws apart from might is right. So it's very cosmopolitan, but it's full of hobgoblins and gnolls and orcs, and it's pretty violent, but it still holds itself together with a sort of veneer of civilization just due to the fear of upsetting one of their dragon overlords. And, and that's a great place to set adventures where you are very much behind enemy lines. You're off the map as far as civilization is concerned. You're in an entirely hostile environment. You're massively outnumbered. And you definitely can't just roll for initiative and break in. You've got you to <laughs> you work around it. Which brings me back to what we were talking about with Spire earlier, where you, you're playing a freedom fighter or terrorist, depending on which viewpoint you want to have. And you can't just use brute force or... 
you know, start shoving people about because the city is bigger than you and it's going to push back and you're going to get squashed. Yeah, I think you know, we're, we're about time, so we're going to have to wrap up soon. I think one, one of the things that's reminded me of is it can really depend on what your system is. So Inspire is geared towards being freedom fighters in a city yeah. or terrorists, depending on your view. So that's that's fine. That gives you one angle. But like D&D cities, for example, like there's not really great rules for brawling or that sort of like non-lethal fights. Mm-hmm. You're really geared towards, you know, Nova striking a dragon or something like yeah. that. So it can be tough. I think that's a challenge that we'll have to ponder on and maybe your listeners can like write in and tell us what they do about it. But how do you deal with games where generally there's going to be tavern brawls or punch-ups with the guards? You just want to like wrestle someone, but the, all the, the things on your character sheet are about cutting someone in half with a, a pole axe. Like, how do you square that circle to a degree? That's an mm. interesting one. Anyway, that will probably have to be for another time as we've, we've burned through our hour quite happily. Yeah, I know. Another day rises and another sun sets over the great city of smart partiness. Smart partopolis. Or something, yeah. <laughs> Writing with these suggestions. Well, it's uh, that's it, folks. Thanks for joining us once more. Thanks as well to our patrons. Uh, the competition may be over. I'm not sure. I'll mention it anyway now, just so you know what happens. But I've put up a thing on our patron. If you're a supporter from $1 upwards, it doesn't matter how much. Uh, I'm giving away a copy of The Walking Dead starter set from Free League. So uh, if I get this episode out quick enough, you may still have a chance before the end of the year to get in and just tell us what cool thing you've been up to in gaming this year and we'll send that out to one of our uh, lucky listeners uh, and if you're international uh, we'll give away a PDF scenario to someone as well so you can do that so mm-hmm. don't be shy of getting in touch and uh, well give us all your questions and other topic ideas because we're always pleased to hear from you yeah where next after the city we've been to the dungeon we've crossed the forest of doom and we've gone to the city of thieves where next you tell us and we'll go there and explore it for you maybe it'll be starship travelers until next time dear listeners. <laughs> until next time